this episode, we uh, get to meet Navir Wachowicz, currently a VP of Strategy and Business Development on the AOG, on the board of the AOG. She's also a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserves, uh, was Ms. Veteran American in 19, or 2019, uh, owns her own fitness essentials studio, and uh, you might have known her as Cadet Hall at the Academy. She grew up a uh, Air Force brat and the, the stepdaughter of a 79 grad and has some great stories. Hi, Navir. Hi, can you hear me all right? I hear you loud and clear. How about me? Wonderful. I hear you the same. <laughs> well, well, thanks for being part of this uh, crazy project. My pleasure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out later. Um, right, right. So, so I always like to start off by asking uh, the, the question of uh, what, what is your message to the incoming class, the current cadets, the recent grads, and then the old geezers? Oh, my goodness. That's a loaded question. Okay. So for the incoming, this is kind of near and dear to my heart because I just found out my son is going to be a preppy, so he's going to go to the prep school here this summer. So if I could bottle everything up. Yeah, I'm, we're super stoked. He's our first uh, prep school attendee and um, actually come from a family of grads. Um, but I guess if I think about what I'd want to share with him is that this is his journey and you know he's not alone at all in this, so he can definitely lean into us, his family, other grads, but I want him to feel totally empowered um, to to walk this path and 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 make it his own. So uh, I guess that's what I'm like, like my words of encouragement is not alone, but I want him to feel that he can completely spread his wings. And then let's see, for those that are grads in the long blue line with us, I think I just want to say, hey, let's connect. I feel like we're super disconnected and I wanna I want to get to know you and reconnect with you. So hit me up. And you say old geezers. I just say, like, I think you guys have the best stories. So, um, you know, please, please stay connected with all of us because I just think you're fascinating. What you went through is, you know, everything is always so different and in perspective. So I, I wouldn't say old geezers. I think you guys are just probably the most fun because, you know, you had the least amount of rules and you, you had the most, you know, ground to kind of cover. So I don't know. That's kind of what's what? in my head, I guess. That, that's good. You're, you're enjoying the entertaining stuff. We, we had the. Because we were eating so much car garbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You mentioned you came from a long line of grads. Well, tell me about that. Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. So my stepdad is a 79 grad. So he was in the last class um, of all men. And then my, which, by the way, he showed me his ring, which is LCWB. Yeah. And I remember asking, what does that mean? <laughs> and um, first he told me like, you know, live with courage. And you know, I'm like, wait a minute. Um, so anyway, he did tell me, but I always ask, well, what's the first class of, of women's say, you know, for the, for 80. But anyway, so my dad was a 79 grad. I was 99. My brother is 06 and my sister's 07. And then my son, Lord willing, will be a 27 grad of our institution and gold like his mama and granddad and granddad. <laughs> so, so your dad was a grad. Does that mean you grew up in Air Force brat? Yep. So I grew up an Air Force brat. Um, I was actually interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Both my stepdad and my father are both very prominent men in my life. And so my father um, is a retired senior master sergeant. And my dad, I say stepdad just to kind of show the delineation, but he's raised me um, just as much as my father. So he's just as prominent in my life. So I call him dad. Um, but yeah, he was a 79 grad. Where, where'd you live? Where, 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 where'd you grow up? Um, let's see. So, um, all over, as you can imagine, as an, as an air force brat, um, 
born at Eglin Air Force Base and then went kind of along the United States. We did Texas, Mississippi, Illinois. Um, then we got to dabble a bit in some of the overseas. So um, Hickam, even though that's Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii, that while it's part of the U.S., it was still overseas. And then um, Japan, we were up in Misawa, north, northern Japan, which is my favorite. Came back to Virginia when my dad had a stint at the Pentagon. And then um, I found myself in Colorado. Virginia. Woodbridge, Virginia. I went to Herndon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's when you said that, and I, I, uh, I've done touch and goes to Masawa, but I've never been other than. Oh gosh, Masawa was beautiful. I remember almost like I was gonna have a coup. I was like, I'm not going back with you. And my dad told me he got orders to the Pentagon. I'm like, I'm staying here. I was a gonna be a junior in high school, so I was there my sophomore year. He told me, and I said, I have friends here. I can stay. It's fine. They'll let me live with them. But I lost that battle, so I was definitely on the plane back to Virginia with yeah. the family. Okay, perfect. What were you saying about I, the climate? I just said the climates in D.C. and Japan seem to be similar. They both do blossoms. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Although I think the festivals in Japan and all the food and culture were just so special. And it was such a small community. Um, at least I think I appreciated that more than maybe I did in D.C. when I was there for my first year after graduation. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to D.C. myself after yeah. high school. So what you mean yeah um, yeah what uh so that tells us about how you grew up why did you go to air force <laughs> so this is kind of a funny story i actually was very overweight growing up and um really loved music theater and art and i actually wanted to go to music school my dad being an air force academy grad basically said you know i would they're really you know harping on me like do your best in schools so i always had the best grades um but he was like, you know, you should really go to the Air Force Academy. And I was like, Dad, I really want to, you know, pursue music. And finally, you know, he, my mom and dad were like, well, we'll support you. But, um, you know, you're going to have to kind of do this on your own. And so I remember <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. I'll apply to the Air Force Academy. But if I don't get in, you're going to let me do what I want to do. And then I got in. <laughs> so. <laughs> so kind of in spite you got it. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it was kind of funny. I guess I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll apply. And then I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is actually really cool now, you know. Air Force or Juilliard, right? <laughs> right, right. And I probably wasn't good enough for Juilliard. Let's be, let's be real. I definitely wasn't. But I surely could join the Air Force Academy choir, which I did, the Catholic choir. <laughs> That's cool. So uh, was uh, Juilliard like? Hmm. A blur. I try and think back. And it's funny, I'll get together with some of my best friends, some of my uh, female classmates, and we, we reminisce and we kind of fill in the blanks for the pieces and parts, pieces and parts that we don't remember or that we've, I don't know, maybe blocked out or just all in between. But, you know, I'll, I'll just say I remember, um, <laughs> I can give you a funny story. It was um, during BCT. And this is a part when we were back in, you know, on the hill. And we were in Vandenberg. And our hair had been chopped, you know, I, I wore contacts. So at this time I was wearing the BCGs or the, you know, the regular standard Air Force issue glasses. Mm -hmm. um, and I have naturally curly hair. So I'm half Chinese, half Jamaican. So what that equates to for the, you know, just to put it in perspective, it is, is if Diana Ross had had her hair chopped off <laughs> with someone whose eyes were closed and it just kind of formed their head like a uh, bowling ball. <laughs> so now, now that you've got that image, I... 
I had this complex about if I just had my bangs straight, I just felt like it could be a really good day. So I don't remember how I got this in here, but somehow I had snuck in or I don't know if I brought it with me, but I had a blow dryer and it's thing called a round brush. So round brushes were used to like straighten curly hair and, you know, into this beautiful lock of straight hair. So I had taped it underneath my sink in the cadet room. <laughs> and I remember, I don't know if you remember this, John, but at least for us, we could hear, we knew when our doors were about to be pounded to wake up on a BCT morning because um, there would be the birds flying. I don't know what it was, but something about you would hear the birds flying and it's like they knew like the calm before the storm and you could hear them <laughs> chirping. And then literally there's a pop, 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 and you welcome to the jungle music was playing. Well, I heard the birds. And, and so I knew this is routine. Well, I had taped a blow dryer underneath the bottom of my sink and I had my round, round brush. And so as soon as I heard the birds, I crept out because I was on the tump buck. I crept out and got and sat down on the floor and I timed <laughs> it. I plugged in my blow dryer and I timed it. As soon as I heard the pounding for 30 seconds, I turned on my blow dryer and I wish you could see me because I was like, <laughs> just, just making these bangs from this, you know, crazy bowling ball of frizzy hair, just these perfectly groomed bangs. You know, and then I taped it back up and then we were like, my roommate and I would rush into action and get ready. Well, the funny part is, <laughs> as soon as I sweat, naturally curly hair turns curly. And yeah. so as soon as I put on that ball cap and we got out in the hall, forget about it. It was no longer pretty bangs. But I felt in that like 30 seconds of bliss, I'm like, I'm a human. I'm a human. Still the control of your personality. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was like, this is for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was That was my... That was something about freshman. I don't know if that's really what you asked me, but that's what popped uh, in my mind. No, whatever you remember is important. Now, I'm curious about <laughs> physical demands. Physical demands. So I had mentioned to you that I was overweight um, growing up. So before that, I remember as soon as I got my, you know, I'd gotten in, my dad would take me on these um, motivating runs, which would <laughs> it first started off with combat boots in our neighborhood. We would just run to the mailbox. And then the runs got a little bit longer. And so then, you know, I was in pretty decent shape um, from a running perspective. In fact, my senior year, once I'd gotten in, they suggested I join the um, the school cross country team. And so let me tell you, I lettered, but it was because I was basically at every event. And you, the team certainly did not get any points for my time, <laughs> but they got a point for my participation because I was always the slowest person. So my job was to make someone feel really good. Um, but at the academy... You know, I was able to hold my own. You know, they would always invert the uh, the flights, so we would we'd run as you know slow as our slowest teammate. And so I always felt that I was certainly never the fastest, but I wasn't you know the one to always you know be the last one. So I felt kind of in a safe space, um, safe space physically. If that makes sense. Yeah, and the, and the altitude probably uh, helped uh, slow everybody down. If yeah, everybody was slow, and, yeah. and everyone was beaten down. I always felt bad for the really tall guys because. I remember them like telling us at night how they had such terrible shin splints because they had to go as short as our, you know, their strides were as short as our legs would take us. So come on, come on, guys, quit your whining. So, yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your shin splints are not because of the girls. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, uh, did they? Did the obstacle course or the Jacks Valley? Did any of that stuff? Like popping my mind. Um, for sure. I can't remember if it was the A course or the O course, but there was one time um, I actually went into heat. I had a like a, I don't know if it was a heat stroke or a heat shock, but I remember going through the course and I just, I remember stood up and the last thing I remember after that, I remember waking up and I was in uh, the infirmary um, 
I guess I, you know, I just didn't look right. And I was running up to an upperclassman. I must've passed out, but I did suffer from like a heat, you know, heat episode in the altitude. And uh, I don't remember which one that was, but it was one where I was really dirty, and I remember low crawling. But I, <laughs> I yeah. wish I could have passed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's probably even better that I don't. Even, I don't yeah. even remember like, you know, did they come in me? Were they yelling? I was definitely just out, and I remember waking up like, oh, I'm hydrated. I'm on some IVs with some some saline attached to me. It's good. It's good. Yeah, the only so. time I did something like that was in an IRI when I was a guide guide on barrier at the my third degree first uh, in rank inspection out there on the Terrazzo, and I. Next thing I knew, I'm holding the guide on in front of the whole squad. And next thing I knew, I'm looking up at the sky. No way. <laughs> and they're all going, the guys that run over, they said, I stayed in perfect attention until my head bounced off the concrete. But luckily, oh my we gosh. Had, the, had that little roll of uh, fabric at the back of the big hats. And, and I, it didn't give me a concussion or anything. I just, I conked out. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember, like, I remember parades and I was like, just don't be the one to pass out. Don't be the one to pass out. Because, you know, you just kind of were like waiting at all the parades you're like not not today it's not today lord i'm not gonna lock my knees i try to like move my toes in my shoes like we got this so yeah that's interesting i remember so, so did they did they get you for um academically was were you okay with the, with the schoolwork i was what you would call the middle line um i was never really great at anything um but I was never at the bottom. So the way I describe it is I struggled, but I was never on academic probation. Okay. Um, and uh, so here's an example of just like one of the classes I was in. I remember I had aerodynamics with a French professor and I said, oh my gosh, I'm a social science major. And I remember just thinking, I, I, could I not have at least had a professional where I didn't have to spend so much time <laughs> trying to work through this accent? I already don't understand these, you know, these equations. This already doesn't make sense to me. So that's when I knew pretty quickly that I was not going to be a pilot. Um, and so, yeah, I so, was just in the middle of the pack. So, so, okay. So you did not have any problems with academics. Did you do any fun stuff? Oh, all kinds of fun stuff. So um, I really kind of embraced the fact that I was not an intercollegiate athlete by trying to find other things that I might be good at. Um, so some of the fun things that I did, I was actually – so I think like most folks who are not an intercollegiate athlete, they, they get put into a sport, right? And so my intramural um, was water polo. Mm. Let me just caveat this by saying, first off, I was overweight growing up. So you would not catch me in a bathing suit. So one, how often <laughs> did I go in a pool? Okay. Two, you know, now that I'm in the pool, um, I did not go to the Naval Academy. So how much do you think <laughs> I probably like to swim? So two. So here I am, you know, treading water for my life and all of the lives of the upperclassmen who also didn't get a great sport and were stuck in water, you know, in in in, uh, in this sport, water polo, and just hanging on to us freshmen because they were like, well, you're, you know, you're a dually, whatever. You can just keep us afloat too. So <laughs> I learned pretty quickly that that was not one of the things I wanted to do. And probably one of my favorite things at the academy was being able to start the aerobics fitness program. So I found out from a, from a cadet recently that it's still ongoing, but in 97, um, after a couple years of painful water polo, I said, I am not doing this anymore. And I recognize that a lot of our football players going into senior year had to drop weight. And I remember when I was heavier growing up, I, my mom took me to group fitness class and I loved it. And I said, you know, I can, I bet I can bring something like this here. That's for cadets, especially to help them drop weight and and make it a thing and so I don't remember who I talked to or how I went about it but it was a proof somehow that I could pilot this 
aerobics instruction type class at the in the cadet um, uh, in the cadet gym. And so we had this room, and I recruited other females who um, that I you know I thought were really rhythmically inclined and could lead a class and could get training. And so we got certified to teach group fitness and. It was a blast. So I never had to do water polo again and started group fitness at the academy. That was pretty cool. And so you were able got out of intramurals basically by doing got that. out of intramurals because we were teaching, you know, high low and step aerobics and and wow. anything in that aerobics room that you could do. And it was fun to watch, you know, the guys really struggle. Um, because, you know, they're these big football players and then they're just dripping sweat and like falling out. I'm like, yes, this is how I felt in the run. <laughs> no, so that's cool really yeah that's, that's really neat yeah I, I i did aerobics for many years and uh, in the civilian world um but not never as an instructor that's that's pretty good yes so yeah, i think that was probably and then i also was a bowler i was on the academy bowling team my first time to omaha where i live now was actually for nationals there on the team and i was a powerlifter for the academy so those were kind of the three things that i did um in lieu of any kind of other organized sport how about uh, cadet things like uh, conduct or, or the, the military side? Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm a boring um, interviewee because I, again, I was kind of middle <laughs> of the pack. I, I never did anything to really um, get myself in trouble nor, um, you know, do anything to, you know, to, 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 to truly shine. I was like, let me just make it through. Well, I would I'm think gonna... that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't have to blow off steam if you're doing the aerobics and you're, and you're working on the grades and everything. And it doesn't yeah. sound like the, uh, the, it was too oppressive for you guys. It, it sounds like you were able to be semi-human. I would, well, I would say, I think you can be as human as you could be. I just think I was, um, probably like a part of a flight that had like, you know, we had those pockets of those who got extra attention. And so I was able to kind of, um, you know, like, I don't know, like ebb and flow in the middle. And I, my two roommates um, were also intercollegiate. So I felt like they would be like brought into with their team a little bit more often. And so I got to kind of be protected because my roommates were intercollegiate athletes. So I felt like they didn't get the heat as much as bad, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense. So were you in the same squadron uh, with these other two or did they have that work? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so for our first couple, like, you know, so we have, we moved squadrons, but I was in Stalag 17. Um, and, and then I went into Tiger 10. So it's interesting, like literally both of my, my roommates were intercollegiate athletes. So my freshman roommate was the one, um, she was on the track and field team. And then my, and when I was Tiger 10, my roommate was Deanna Halet. Um, now Colonel Hale, or excuse me, now she's Colonel Franks, but, um, and she's a swimmer. So just, amazing amazing women to be roomed with cool yeah and powerlifting i did i got to travel a couple places i remember um we went to nationals at fort hood in texas and uh, uh this is actually kind of funny my son is now in powerlifting in high school <laughs> and he just set the state record in his weight class and i had a picture of him in my in my back in the day you know at the academy and i'm wearing a yusafa tee and these the weight, you know, the singlet, and I had my combat boots on, and, and all he could see, like, he didn't even really look, first he looked at the weights, he wasn't impressed, and then he looked at my squat, and he looked at my boots, and he go, are those combat boots? And I'm like, yeah, 
<laughs> yes, those are. Like, don't knock them. They are versatile. You can use them as running shoes. You can use them as powerlifting shoes. You can use them in your uniform. They are versatile. And they're all weather. <laughs> all That's weather, right. all conditions. All weather, all everything. Once, once you've broken them in, until you break them in, they're no, no fun. But yeah, once you've broken oh, them in, yeah. good. I just took my my son for his first walk in um, his combat boots yesterday. I was like, I'm not going to make you run in them yet, Arden. Like, that's that's to come, but we're just <laughs> going to go for a walk. So we walked for 30 minutes, and I kept asking, like, how are your feet? Are you doing okay? They're like, Mom, they're great. They're so much lighter than I expected. I'm like, yeah, that's because nowadays they make, like, Nike brand that are, like, yeah. <laughs> designed to be, like, a sneaker. And so he's like, okay, Mom. Well, about, you know, 25 minutes in, he's like, wow, my heel's starting to feel it now. I'm like, good, you're breaking them in. You're breaking them in. So we got home, and I said, let's look at the red spots. Let's Let's, you know, let's nurse your, where you'll have blisters and we'll keep breaking them in. So get the, get the mole skin going, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm like, no sympathy. Let's just, let's just properly break those in and protect your foot as best we can. <laughs> so, so before we leave the Academy, did you do any fun things in the summer times? Oh, let's see. There are always fun things to be done. Um, well, one of them, I remember going to my friend Heather's house. So she's one of my best friends. We weren't roommates, but you'd have thought we were as close as we got. We actually met at the cadet area when we both on a separate occasion. It was not the time that I was blacked out from the course, but um, I don't remember why we were there. But I remember we both looked really miserable. And this was during basic. And everyone's really quiet because nobody's really talking. We we're kind of sitting like sitting across from each other. And I was like, there's another girl. I just feel like I need to bond with somebody. And I remember trying to talk to her and she actually doesn't remember this. And I was like, you don't remember the first time we met was in the, like in the medical area. And she's like, no, she's like, I've blocked out everything. I'm like, okay, that's fair. But, um, but yeah, so I went to her house for a summer break and it was in Florida. And I remember it was so neat to kind of be away from the Academy and actually feel like you could be yourself and, you know, not have to like carry your uniform and, you know, just truly just be, a college student or so to speak, you know, a, a young woman in a non, non-military area. So that was cool. Uh, did you ever think of quitting? Yes, but not for the best reason. Um, matter, just whatever, whatever the reasons are, just curious how you, what got you to gut it out. <sighs> okay, here we go. So I, so growing up, my mom was very strict. And so I did not, I did not date period. So going into the academy this is my first exposure one to that many guys and no mother right no mom being there like you can't date so um you could just fast forward through freshman year because there was you just weren't looking you literally were just like please let me ever begin to look like a woman again i just want to feel like a normal person so come you know recognition all of a sudden it's like oh we can wear our hair different and i remember meeting this guy i'm going to save his name because <laughs> I don't know if you'll listen to this, but anywhere there was this guy that I met in jump. So we were in jump together. That was probably um, my second. Oh, that's a tie. It might be the tie for my first uh, favorite summer program because jump and soaring were both up there. But okay. anyway, met met this other similar, um, you know, class year as myself. And, you know, he's like, hey, do you want to go on a date? And I'm like, oh, this is a thing now. Like, I'm, I'm, my mom's not here to say no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a date. So we started dating. And um Anyway, you know, he was my first boyfriend and I thought for sure we're going to get married because that's what happens when you date, right? You just fall in love when you get married. Yeah. And so um, it was right before our junior year. So this is sophomore summer we're dating and then we're getting ready, you know, before your class and junior year is kind of that commitment time, right? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you, if you go into this class, now you're going to commit this many years, you know, to the military. 
And he just said he wasn't going to go. He's like, nope, this is not for me. I got out of this what I needed, but I don't want this commitment. I'm out. And he, he, you know, he, he opted to leave. Wow. And I was just distraught. I'm like, mom. So of course I called my mom and her first thing, of course, well, I told you not to date. Yeah, boys <laughs> but her second thing was, and I'm like, mom, I'm leaving too. I'm going to move to Montana. She's like, you are not. I'm like, but I love him. And so anyway, the reason I thought about quitting was for a guy. Okay. Um, but my mother talked sense into me and she was like, you're not going to quit the Academy. You know, you're going to be fine. And I went through it because I had never experienced a breakup. I'd never experienced, you know, kind of feeling those emotions and a breakup. And it was all in this foreign place that was, you know, just a whole different context in general. Like it wasn't your typical, you know, college experience. And so, yeah, so I had to deal with my first um, kind of, I guess, what I would call a teenage experience in college. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my brother and sister are eight and nine years younger than me. And my mother let my brother and sister start dating in high school. Go figure. Well, they learn from they learn from everybody learns from experience. I, I, yes. I didn't date in high school either. Uh, yeah. Really? I county. thought I was like one of the crazy few people because people are like, what? what? And I'm like, no, not not at all. No, I think most most at least most of my class, we, uh, they may have had dates, but they weren't. You know, they, they only one guy brought his high school girlfriend with him to the to the Colorado, and that was about it. Oh gosh, okay. Yeah. I feel like it's much more common now to have dated before college. Yeah, um, well, now, I, who knows? I mean, nowadays yeah. it's kind of a it's it's a mixed bag, but yeah, it depends on your your goals and your focus. I think. How yeah. Early, how early you're gonna get rolling in that? John, thank you for making me feel so much better about my young self. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're, and then you said uh, something about soaring. Oh, yes. Soaring was so amazing. So I knew I couldn't fly because I also had, um, I was nearsighted. So, I mean, it probably could have been corrected and it's now been corrected with LASIK. But, you know, at that time, I, I knew I couldn't fly for my eyesight and the fact that I couldn't handle aerodynamics from a French professor. But, um, <laughs> So I was in soaring and this was going to be the closest thing between me and the skies, right? It didn't matter. No engine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just me and this plane. So I remember going for my, um, for my final flight, right. To get my wings. And so my, oh my gosh, Dan McBroom, he's a nine, nine grad. I'm just going to give him a shout out because <laughs> I remember the day and I was so nervous and I was like, McBroom, I, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, they had to put weights like these bricks of weights in the front of my uh, my glider so that you know it wouldn't it was heavy enough because there was no you know instructor in there with me you know and so I was like I don't know I don't know McBroom I don't think I can do this and he's like you're gonna be fine he's like you know just a pep talk the typical pep talk you know pep talk one of your friends would give you to just be like I got this okay I got this so I remember and he was like Navir I will be right here waiting for you I was like okay cool so you know I get pulled up and I'm you know being, you know, pulling behind, watching my pedal tube, you know, just kind of hanging out there doing my thing. And, you know, I release like I'm supposed to. And then I'm like, okay, all right, I got this. And I start my, you know, my, my path. And I remember catching this air, this, you know, just getting caught in like this air gust and I, I was lifted up and I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get down? Like I'm supposed <laughs> to get to the ground and I'm in, I'm in my path and now I'm higher than I'm supposed to be. So then I'm like opening up the air brakes. I think that's what they're called. This has been it so long. But I remember to like lower my, um, you know, to, uh, to to get lower. And and I'm singing Amazing Grace. And I don't even know. And then I'm like, no, I'm too low. I'm too low. And so I'm like, you know, I'm trying to get everything just right. And the whole time I'm like, Amazing Grace, how sweet. And I'm literally like just singing all my way down. And I remember once I 
and then I was also nervous about landing because I remembered I was worried about like kind of swerving. And Dan McBroom told me, if you just kind of pedal your feet really fast, like fluttering like wings, you'll be fine. So I was like, okay. So I remember what he said. And I remember coming down for a landing and I'm just like, my feet are just like on the rudders. I'm like, pedal, 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 pedal. And it was the most beautiful landing I had. And sure enough, Dan McBroom was there in his combat boots just waiting for me. Like, I told you, Veer, you'd make it. You did great. I'm like, oh, I did great. So that ended up being my favorite uh, moment because I, I just felt so free and like I handled something that just felt, you know, bigger than me. And it was just, I don't know, it was this moment with me and the Lord. It was really cool. And do you still fly? Um, you mean like gliders or yeah. on an airplane? Um, well, I, haven't, I haven't since then. No, I mean, that was it other than like, you know, stepping onto a flight and, you know, hello, it's nice to see you again. And then sitting in a chair and buckling up and controls and everything. <laughs> no, not at all. Not, not once since that last flight. Interesting. And then uh, you said jump school also. Yeah. So um, jump school, I remember going up and you know how you get, you go through PLF training and all of those all of the things that could happen, just pedal out or, you know, you've got yeah. your reserve shoot, like all the things that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, it's not going to happen to me. It's fine. It's fine. If you get a streamer, who gets that? Nobody. So um, I remember standing in the door. So the first time I was supposed to go, you know, you stand in the door and they open it up and the wind's blowing in your face and you're, you're down on one knee or your, your, your other leg is kind of bent at 90. So you're ready for them to smack you on your leg. So you fly out and then you kind of go into your, you know, arch thousand to you go into formation yeah, yeah, do it. Yeah. So, I'm there. Oh, are you ready? I'm ready. And so then they hit my leg and I'm, I don't move. Like I didn't realize there's this bar above the door that, <laughs> they, that you hold on to. And apparently I had such a death grip that they were trying to pry my fingers open. And I didn't <laughs> even realize I was holding this bar. So we had to do another loop around. They're like, uh, we're going to loop around again. So then I had to go back to my seat, buckle up. So then we had to go back and do, you know, the loop. And they're like, Oh, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready in the doors and I got down and I was like, okay, don't hold on to that bar. But I remember looking at the ground. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is real. There's just nothing like in, you know, in practice or in training when you, you climb up those few steps and you jump off that like six foot thing and you like, you know, you do your PLF where it's anything real. Like there's nothing like this. So I remember the wind is blowing my face, like my goggles. I don't even know. It's just surreal. My everything's blowing. It's loud. And he smacks my leg. And I just remember so all of a sudden I just went to motion. And I remember I looked down, I looked up, I looked down, I looked up. I was like, is that, am I going the right, am I falling properly? Like literally that was <laughs> in my head because it was, it just felt like I was just in the air. And then I was like, oh my gosh, arch thousand, two thousand, three, you know what I mean? Like it just went into motion, but it was literally in that first few seconds, I was like, am I falling properly? That's the plane, that's the ground. Oh my gosh, arch thousand. So anyway, um, this is the final, um, the final one. And I remember right before I, when I, um, I pulled my, my, um, the parachute strings were like, they were a little bit like bunched up. So I was like, pedal, 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 pedal. And of course it like, you know, it cleared out and I was like, Oh my gosh, that actually happens to people. It happened to me. But then, <laughs> and then you have the radio on in their hall. If you want to land yourself, cause you know, you have a goal, your goal is to land on the X, right? If you want to <laughs> land yourself, you know, give us a hard right. And I'm like, Heck no. I like my arms are straight, my arms are locked out. I'm like straight ahead and they're like, Paul, can you hear us? If you want to land yourself, give us a hard right. And I'm like, mm, straight on. My arms are locked out. And they're like, all right, Hall, we're gonna land you. I'm like, damn right. <laughs> You're How gonna land they, they had a control thing? 
Oh, it was like a walkie-talkie attached to our chest, so we could hear. Yeah, but um, like, how did they, did they, they said they're going to land you. They told you what to yeah. do. Yeah. Oh, so basically, yeah, they would kind oh. of direct you, like you know, like okay, you know, give us a, you know, uh, you know, like a forty, like left, you know, forty-five degrees, and so you pull, and then they just kind of glide you in. And play, play, play. They tell you like you don't have to. Yeah, I was like, nope. I'm. I value my training, and I value all of this money you put into me, Air Force Academy. <laughs> I don't want to die today. So you you um did all your jumps in, at the academy? I did, I did. I got my my jump wings, and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, we did. I did my uh, jumping at Fort Benning. Oh, really? Yeah, that was it. Was after survival training, so it was it was actually kind of a vacation for us. And I then bet. I came back to the academy to do the airmanship four ninety, the uh, the free fall class. Yeah. Got one jump. And then got on Act Pro and had to drop the class. But um, oh. the run, the one jump convinced me I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> yeah. So that was all I did was jump 490 was the free fall for the, you know, the five jumps. So um, that was the only way I knew it. And then I, when I realized, I'm like, oh, others, you know, like it, it activates as you jump out. It's, it's very different. So, yeah. It was the one of four bangs like walking off a bus because you, you, they'd shoot a, like a hundred of us out of an airplane yeah. one time. And so you're really crowded once the chute opens and you're trying to stay away from other people to oh my goodness. Your, collapse your chute or your chute gets collapsed. That that was pretty wild. Oh, I bet the landings were much harder too. Like I think a PLF from that, because your chutes were shaped different too, weren't they? Or were they just were they all the dome. same? Yeah, just a little, little round bubble thing. Yeah, ours yeah. were more of like a rectangle. So we had a little bit more, <laughs> you had more support. support. We even had the round ones at the academy at, at 490 back then. And oh no, wow! No radios. It was it was all, uh, you know. How'd you yeah, do yeah, yeah. You had it. You had it harder, John. I no, know. not harder. I'm just saying it was more <laughs> no, primitive. Definitely more primitive. But what I, I was uh, the first time I went up to do the free fall, I didn't pack a reserve chute that had an altimeter on it. I oh didn't wow! Realize that they had altimeters on the chute, so I, I had to fly the plane, to land on the plane, then they sent me back up with one that had an altimeter. Because if you black out and you go through your arch thousand, pull thousand, all that stuff, and you don't do it in time. The altimeter pops a shoot for you. Oh yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Ours yeah. would like you knew when it's gonna poop. It. Yeah. Yep. Wow. They don't. They don't want you to bounce. So they. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bad thing. Bouncing is bad. So yeah. did you do any real Air Force travel? Like, did you go to any uh, military bases in the summers? I went to um, <laughs> yes, Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. So actually, I. My, um, and I can't remember if soaring was after that year. It might've been. Cause I think I had to jump sophomore summer and ops air force to Cannon air force base. So, um, I actually was able to get a night flight on, um, a dual seated F 16, which was amazing. That was really cool. cool. Yeah. I don't remember much about it cause we pulled G's and I was like, Oh my gosh. And that was, <laughs> I think I You're drooled. I think I drooled. <laughs> You're in the dark and they're pulling jets. Yeah. Torturing yeah. the poor cadet in the, in the, in the <laughs> night. That's probably why they're like, this is fun. I'm like, yeah, this is fun. Fun. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you graduate and you go off to, uh, what, what do I see here on here? I'm looking at, uh, logistics. No, you're going to see very, you're going to see very few places because I, I actually ended up in two places after graduating. So I went to Howard University and so I was a gold bar recruiter. And I was stationed in D.C. And I was assigned to Howard University, their ROTC detachment, and the University of Maryland's ROTC detachment. How did you get that as a cadet? I don't know that that's – I don't know – 
that they do that anymore, but it was basically the gold bar program was they would send you to go um, for a year. So you'd be a brand new, you know, second lieutenant. And they were really trying to boost officer accession. So they'd put you in a ROTC detachment and you would go to college fairs and, excuse me, and to high schools and talk to kids about becoming an officer. And you'd talk about the different routes, OTS, ROTC, and the academy. And um, it was wonderful. I was actually very successful at being a gold bar recruiter. I remember I was like, oh, maybe I should have not done transportation and done something along this whole, you know, like (laughs) a a whole nother line of business. Yeah, it was really awesome. So that was my first assignment. And then let me fast forward to the rest of my 22 years of time. I went to Offutt Air Force Base and I never left Offutt Air Force Base. But But you went to Offutt in like 05, right? I went to Offit in, so I arrived here in Nebraska in 2000. So I graduated, well, I can't remember if I got here the summer of 2000 or summer 2001, but I spent one year in DC. And then my next assignment was here at Offit Air Force Base. Um, and so I came to Offit and I was active duty for seven years before I um, separated into the reserve side. And then, so I was on Offit, but then I worked. So Offit is a pretty big base. They have, you know, strategic air, uh, strategic command here. So the old SAC is here. Yeah. They also have the Air Force Weather Agency. So I was able to do a lot of different things on one base, like literally in different commands, even. So that was how I was able to stay here. And you, you, I see you got Transporter of the Year one year. I did. <laughs> I did get Transporter of the Year. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I think if you, um. I don't know. You know, I feel like being from the Air Force Academy, if you're going to do something, you go all in and you do it right. So, you know, I just really tried to be present for my people and, um, you know, you know, lead them to be really proud of their work. And if you're doing all the things with pride, um, sometimes people notice. So that was pretty cool. And then you were like the number one branch in recruiting multiple years. Yeah. So um, that was probably I love that so much because I was able to just kind of like what you're talking about, what advice would you share with people? I think if you always can just meet people where they are and help them, you know, shine in the, and up from their own light, I think that's really positive. So being able to um, talk with young men and women about opportunities in the Air Force and then inspire my team, like it wasn't about quotas. It was about um, helping people see the opportunity of serving. And um, then you wouldn't be selling jobs because I was, I was the um, ops officer for our recruiting team. And so yeah, we were number one um, in the 369th recruiting group um, just because we were really focused on um, we would we would we build relationships and we tried to make sure we were putting people um, in, in opportunities to really, you know, seize those. So, yeah, no, you you, yeah. you presented the, uh, the right image of what a positive military experience could be, probably. I sure hope so. That was always my goal. I always wanted someone to feel informed and inspired. And when they made that decision, it was, um, it was exciting and something that they were looking forward to. It wasn't, you know, to get away. I mean, it, maybe it could be to get to a better life, but it certainly hopefully wasn't something that they felt that they were forced into or, you know, somehow co- coerced or lied to. And then I see you got a master's degree in HR management. Mm-hmm. I did. I just was, you know, <laughs> at first it was like, I actually, it took me a couple years to get to that because I started a master's program kind of like, you know, you kind of feel like it's something I need to do to check the box. And I remember I went through a couple of programs, like I think I did like Oklahoma University, whatever was offered at the base at one time. And I just didn't get behind it. And I just wasn't wasn't really passionate about it. And so I kind of stepped away. And when I was ready, I said, you know, I think I want to do something that's going to afford me the opportunity to 
work with people and something that, you know, could be worthwhile in an organization anywhere. And so I thought, you know, every organization is going to have, you know, human resources and people are need to be taken care of. So this is probably worthwhile. And and then so you left active duty. What what was the rationale there? So I actually um, so I was married prior to my current husband and my ex-husband had been married before me. And so he had joint custody with his son. Um, from that marriage. And so that's why I stayed at Offit for so long. I was really trying to find ways that we didn't have to break up the family. And so um, after I'd exhausted all those avenues on active duty, that's why I switched over to the reserve side. So like I said, I'd been on Offit in the transportation side, and then I went to the recruiting, you know, recruiting side of the house. So that was a whole different command. And then, um, you know, looking at Stratcom. So I was really trying to not destroy my career, so to speak, <laughs> by staying at one base, but also, you know, just make it as possible for my family to, you know, for, um, you know, at that time, my stepson to have both his mom and dad with him. And so um, anyway, after it got to a point where I was definitely going to have to move, um, I wanted to continue my service. So I explored going into the reserve. And so I separated from active duty so that we could live here and um, wanted to continue my commitment. So, or my, you know, my service. So on, I think it was July 7th of 2006, I was active duty on July 8th of 2006. I was a reservist. So there was no break. I went from one to the other um, and started working for TD Ameritrade. Okay. So the, uh, the reserve side was one weekend a month or how did, how was that? What was that type of commitment for you? Yeah. So I was um, signed up to be an IMA, which is an individual mobilization augmentee. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility as a reservist to work with your unit. And and so it's not specified weekends, but the time ends up being two weeks out of the year for your kind of like your annual items. Yep. And then two days a month, but you could kind of break it up however it made sense. Okay. And so that made it really, um, it made it easier for my civilian, you know, for my company to kind of support periods of time um, when I when I was away from the office. So. Yeah, I did, I did nine years of a flying reserve job in the Navy, and it was five uh, days a month. Plus two, oh, wow. Plus yeah. two weeks a year, plus another fun week where we went to the ship every year just to scare oh, us. Oh, wow. <laughs> so was it like five days consecutively, or could you pick those? We, no, we'd do, it'd be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one weekend, and then Friday, Saturday, the next. Gotcha. And okay. It, it depended on your schedule, what, how you could get up there and what the flight schedules were and all that stuff. I see. Yeah. I see. No, yeah. It, it was, Did you like it? I really enjoyed that, but it was became too much of a heavy drag on the family. Yeah. No, nope, I understand that. Work, I really, working really full, did. Like you did TD Ameritrade, working a full job and then doing reserve thing. How's that juggling act with it? With Because it? the Ameritrade, I would think, is almost a 24-7 kind of role, right? Yes. And so they are very supportive of their military members. But what for me was more of the struggle was, um, you know, at this point, I had two young boys, my two eldest boys, pretty young. And um, I was just working, like you said, around the clock and to be to go into an industry that I'd never really been in. I mean, I got my licenses, I took the tests, I passed and, but they put me in leadership roles. And, and for me, you want to be able to lead, um, you know, informed and, you know, earn respect. And so I just remember I was working all the time. Yeah. I was a mom that would pick up my kids, like the daycare was closed and they'd be at the front door with their backpacks out, you know, like the last person that was waiting for me with looking at her watch or, you know, <laughs> I just, it was always, and then yeah. I get home and I'd feed them supper and I'd fire up my laptop. So it was just a lot. And then I was traveling quite a bit for work. I was probably gone because I was managing um, 
different teams and call centers. So we had a call, call center in Fort Worth, we had one in Omaha, and then we also had one in um, London, Ontario. And so I was having, to, I would often go to the Fort Worth branch because it was our new, our new call center. So I was there at least once a month for about a week. And so I just felt like, you know, I didn't even travel this much in the military for my family. <laughs> yeah, and, really. Uh, you know, and so I just, you know, the money was great, but I just, I was missing a lot. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of had to look at, you know, what's important to me right now. And it was really my family. And so I talked to my husband and I had an opportunity to come on orders and serve as an exec for um, the mobilization assistant, the two star here at Stratcom. Yeah. Um, you know, my name was recommended. And so I took the interview and I, you know, I said, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And, um, you know they offered me the op- the job. And so I went on active orders as a reservist and um, left TD Ameritrade. And so that's what you're doing now, right? Full-time? So full-time, no. Now full-time, I work for the um, academy for the Association of Graduates. So I was working full-time at Stratcom as a government civilian. And then as a reservist, I was um, the exec for the, for the mobilization um, assistant. But after that stint was up, because you can only do active service as a reservist for so long, So after I had done that, um, I had to kind of go back to a typical, you know, number of days of reserve duty. So they went and they put me back in kind of the the logistics role. And um, I picked up my job as a government civilian. I was working there at Stratcom as a civilian. So I was doing much more time as a civilian at Stratcom in the civil service. So uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of me. Um, I see that you picked up a hobby along the way called the Fit Essentials? <laughs> fit Essentials, yes. Yeah. So Fit Essentials, um, remember I told you I love, so I don't know if you can hear it, by the way, like right now there's storm and hail outside. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just kind of interesting outside. But um, Fit Essentials was something I'd always promised myself. So back, remember I was overweight and my mom took me to group fitness and I, I just fell in love with it. And I remember saying that I was going to some way give back down the road where I was going to, you know, teach group fitness, you know, and, and help others feel really good in their skin the way I did for an hour. And so, um, yeah, so after I graduated, I got certified in group fitness. And since 1999, I've been leading group fitness classes. And um, after enough time of leading group fitness classes, I just felt like I have, I know this community, I've been around, I know the instructors, and I thought, why am I teaching at so many places? Um, I had this one lady write me a note and she's like, can you just teach at one place so I don't have to have three memberships? <laughs> and I, It dawned on me. I'm like, I can do this. And so um, I built a business plan. I talked to a couple mentors and said, here's what I have in mind. And they said, you should try it. So I worked with, I got a lease, I leased a building and uh, formed a business and Fit Essentials was born um, 10 years ago. Yeah. So you're yeah. <laughs> reservist, uh, strategic command helper, uh, TD Ameritrade, and Fit Central's person. Yes. Yeah. So a little bit of what's that? Working woman, right? So I'm a professional. I have a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And my most, my most favorite job is being a mom and a wife, for sure. Academy thing has probably triggered a lot of this stuff because we enjoy at the same time. It's, it's, Yes. I'm not sure we would know how to operate with just one hat on, right? <laughs> well, I, I get so bored doing one thing. I have to I have to be doing three things at once. Of it. I always tell everybody it's because of ADD, but I think it's Air Force uh, def- deficit syndrome, not not the ADD thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think it instills in us like you can't just do one thing. You are designed to take on way more. So yeah, go, go forth and do. 
And that, that's why being a pilot can be kind of boring because you're, you're just focused on one thing, <laughs> but the right. environment is so, so dynamic. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so I, I have a confession to make, Navir. Okay. Uh, one of the things when I was growing up, my dad was an instructor at SOS. And that was <laughs> when I was in the impressionable era of wanting to figure out what I want to do when I grew up. And 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be an Air Force pilot because my dad would have these after the uh, class parties and all the guys that had the fancy cars and the beautiful wives were <laughs> Air Force grads and they were fighter pilots. And mm-hmm. so I said, I want to go to the academy because the two years before when I was in high school, the two years prior to my graduation, Miss America had come from Colorado. Ah, and I go, okay, the, this academy thing sounds great. You're going to, they're going to send me off pay. You know, I get to go to school for free. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go uh, learn how to fly planes, obviously, because that's what the Air Force Academy does, right? And of course they don't, but that, that was a different deal. And Colorado's filled with beautiful women. Right. You were set. So I get there. There's no women on campus. You don't fly. <laughs> you were deceived. <laughs> But but I just want to say you inspired me because you are Miss Veteran America. Yes, 2019, I, I am, and it was an honor to serve that. Um, I still kind of um, support, you know, even after your reign, you still continue to support. But Miss Veteran America is a platform that the nonprofit Final Salute Incorporated um, has leveraged, you know, for the past 11 years to bring awareness to homeless women veterans. And I mean, you I literally blew my mind when I found out about, about this. And I actually didn't run because I was hoping to win. Although let's be, let's be real. You know, I'm, I'm an Academy grad, so I don't do anything to, to lose, but I, I'm very competitive, but I was, I'm also, it was more to me about the mission. Um, and so, so when I found out that on any given day, there's over 50,000 homeless women veterans and potentially their children without homes. It just, I had to do something. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run and I'm going to raise awareness because I have a pretty strong following and a network and I might not be able to raise the most money, but I can by God do my best and raise the most awareness possible and end up being really powerful. I think I raised over just in my kind of in the, the, you know, the rain, the run to reigning, I guess, the run to Miss Veteran America crowning. Um, I raised over $18,000. And then um, during my year, um, we were able to raise, even during the COVID year, and that was that was when we were kind of living through that, we were able to still raise money while others were, um, you know, really struggling. We still had to make sure that homeless women veterans didn't fall to the wayside. So that's yeah. cool. That's, that's really impressive. So how, what did they do? They have a did you have to go somewhere or what? They do. They have a competition. So it's kind of a two part. So the initial part is, you know, you first have to kind of do this application process, um, which includes, you know, if you're active duty, you have to have, um, you know, your leadership right on you. If you're no longer active, you have to provide your DD form 214 to make sure you're of honorable service. And so you, there's this kind of just package to make sure that they're going to have someone that is, you know, they are proud to have wear the crown. And so you kind of go through that. And then and then there is multiple things you have to do, which includes raising money, raising awareness. And they want you to do it, um, you know, in a way that's unique to you. So you kind of get to use your own platform and and be creative. So I did a lot of things through fitness. I did a lot of things um, through social media because that's where I have, you know, some strong presence and some good friends and just did my best. And that's you go through, um, you know, that's kind of the first the first leg. And then you have the second once you make it past the first cut, then you kind of go into the second half of the year. So you're campaigning from January until October when's when they crown Miss Veteran America. So you have these things to do. 
And then the finals are in October and they fly you to whatever location it's at. And then you have to do a talent. You have to answer <laughs> questions and yeah, you know, and um, yeah. So okay. it was fun. Pretty curious crowd. What's your talent? <laughs> so they made us all lip sync because they found out that they had all, you know, they, you know, some people just, it was really hard for them to compare. Is this better than that? And so they made us all lip sync. And so we could pick whatever song we want. We could do it in our, you know, genre style. So I lip, um, for my song, the greatest showman, okay. the song, um, where she's just in the, the theater and just kind of solo. And it's super heartfelt. Like I had it down, John, I had the breaths <laughs> and my, my chest would rise and fall. I had the, like all of that, like you would have thought I was really singing it. It was so real. Like I even, I'm like, am I singing this? Oh no, it's not me. It's, it's that beautiful voice. <laughs> That's great. It was fun. Yeah. And then I guess to, to wrap this up, you, your current role is with the AOG. Yes. I love serving our association as a senior vice president of alumni relations and business development. And newly in this role since January, new to the AOG from July of last year. But um, this has really come full circle to the place where I, you know, it put me on a trajectory and spread my wings to be able to um, really reconnect grads in meaningful ways. And I like, like just you and I connecting. Um, I think it's because I, it really was because I was in this position and meeting Emma and just, you know, you start to reconnect in the network and amazing things happen and you're just, your life is, is, it's improved and fulfilled. And so I'm thankful for our long blue line and I love this job so that I can help others feel this too. Well, I thank you very much for your time tonight. And I'm very impressed with your, your story, especially the, uh, the charity work for the uh, Miss Veteran thing and, and all the AOG. That's really, that's really cool. Congratulations on everything. Thank you, John. Turns out it's easy to talk about yourself for 53 minutes, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you don't have to take notes. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. I guess I forgot to ask one last thing, and that's the uh, Cornell stuff. You've been doing Cornell the last couple of years. So I did. I was able to complete um, the Women in Leadership Program through Cornell and Diversity and Inclusion, which was has been really helpful in just being thoughtful of the way we the way we engage with others and are just being really thoughtful and in, 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 in approaches to things. And so um, it's really helped me kind of bring my best to the table. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that program. It was very, very time, time well spent for sure. Yeah. All right. Get down to the tornado shelter. We want, we don't want to hear. Yes. About- yes. I mean, the lights have flickered a couple of times, so I'm amazed that we're still on this, but thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.